This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of The Other 14 Podcast, the only podcast that forgets all about the so-called Big Six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. It was goals, goals, goals this week with three of the other 14 scoring at least three. With Leicester eventually turning up to the league this season, Brighton showing Deserby is the right man for the job and Newcastle punishing a poor Fulham at the cottage. This week, as always, I'm joined by Tom. Hello. Hello, Tom. So, classic Premier League match week, really. Quality goals and some really good results. What a way to announce itself back into our lives after the international break. Yes, Reese. A quality game week all round, I feel, especially for the neutrals. Some quality goals, as you mentioned, of which we'll get onto later. Screw what we said about being excited about the World Cup and football coming home. The Prem is back, and that's all we need. And the other four teams showed their class again. Some much needed wins, a sacking, some rumoured sackings, and managers firing shots, goals galore, and some classic Premier League red cards, if ever we saw some. Yeah, I've almost forgot that we're going into a World Cup in a couple of weeks' time. It was just some really good results, some really good games, high quality, and some low quality as well, might I add. Mm. There were some there were some games in that that um left a lot to be desired. But looking at the results, uh, I know that we'll move on to it in a second, but I'm still we'll mention quickly here. I'm still amazed. Gary O'Neill at Bournemouth. Um they picked up another point. Still doing a job. I know we'll talk more about managers later this episode, but should he be appointed full time now? Has he I proven mean, himself? Bournemouth have gone very sort of quietly under the radar. Ever since the 9 0 and the sacking of Scott Parker, it's just been almost like business as usual. Just gone back to just being just Happy old Bournemouth just down the south coast, just going by as yeah, if you know they were back into like like the Eddie Eddie Howe era, just yeah. sort of plod, plodding along. Yeah, they're um, just going really steady. Like, looking at their results, not many wins. I think there was the win against Forest. Obviously, yeah, so um, since the since the nine 0 loss to Liverpool, they've had four games which is which they've been undefeated for. So they've got. Two nil-nil draws, one against Wolves, one against Brentford, one all against Newcastle at St James's Park, and then beat Forest away. That's six points from four games. Can't argue with that. You can't argue with that at all. The just the comeback and clean thing. sheets as well. That's key. And clean sheets. Two nil-nils there. They're hard to grind out. And yeah. um, it was yeah. I think he's doing a really good job. Anyway, let's move on to the proper business. So first things first. Over to Tom with the classified results for the game week. Here are the classified results for match day nine of the Premier League 22-23 season. Fulham 1, Newcastle United 4, Crystal Palace 1, 2, West Ham United 2, Wolverhampton Wanderers 0, Leeds United 0, Aston Villa 0, 3, Brighton Hove Albion 3. Southampton 1, Everton 2, AFC Bournemouth 0, Brentford 0, Leicester City 4, Nottingham Forest 0. Some results in there. We're going to take a bit of a deeper dive into some of them. Um, Any catch your eyes, a particular shock or just some good games in there that you'd like the look of? 
Um, if we sort of move away from the uh, from the northwest, um, I think Leicester City was. Would we say it's a shock? Um, the way Forest have been playing this year, no. But the way Leicester have been playing this year, yeah. I, I, I think yeah. I, I think looking at sort of how you sort of mentioned last week about Leicester, they should be fine, and this was clearly a result that was very much needed. I, w- I wouldn't say it's a shock result, but the way that Leicester actually sort of performed did sort of come as a little bit of a surprise. But it, again, I think, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad I was sort of proven wrong because there's nothing really, you know, you like to see Leicester stay up because from just basically their story over the last sort of, well, near enough, coming up to nearly 10 years now, sort of their rise through, through the leagues. Um, you don't really want to see those sort of uh, teams go down. No. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, yeah, like you said, I think turning it around was was very much key. So yeah, as you said, with the way Forrest have been playing, yeah, they've not been great. They, to be honest, they've got one win this season and it was a lucky result against West Ham who fluffed their lines a fair bit. But Leicester, compared to how they've been this season, you're once again spot on. It's a bit of a surprise result from there. But if you look back at last season, season before, season before that, season before that, them scoring four goals in the way that they did, four, well, mostly high-quality goals, that much isn't a surprise. And with James Madison being absolutely on top form right now, to be honest, I'm glad I was the one on the right side of history here because I said Leicester would be fine and they're a really good footballing team. They eventually turned up. It's taken them a while and it's been eight game weeks until we've now actually seen some proper football from them. But it's a bloody good result for them. It was a great result, but we have to sort of take a little bit of perspective on this and say it is just one game and it is unfortunately against Forest for any Forest fans who are listening to the pod right now. The trouble with Leicester this year, their attacking threat has not been the thing that's let them down. Scoring hasn't been an issue for them. Madison's been banging them in. They you know, cracked a couple in against Arsenal and played really well in that game. But defensively, they've just been all over the shop. And that's what's really let them down, being in winning positions and then losing games. They've been your sort of stereotypical snatching um, defeat from the jaws of victory type sort of team. So that's been the thing that's let them down. So a clean sheet will go a heck of a long way. And yes, you were on the right side of history. Um, But history does suggest that teams that start off this poorly, as I mentioned last week, don't end up in the same position, but I'm more I, I'm more than happy to be proven wrong. It won't. I don't think this is a complete turnaround for them. I still think they're going to have a difficult season ahead. Um, I just think it. I know there's been a lot of pressure on Brendan Rodgers, mostly from external, because we don't know what goes on inside the club, no. and we haven't really heard that many murmurings from inside the club that they're going to get rid of him. I know we're going to talk about some uh, managerial rumors a bit later. But at no point has it come out really saying, oh, or there's no been any solid links going, oh, Brendan's close to the sack. It's just everyone kind of going, oh, it's been a poor start. Maybe they should sack him. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's typical paper. paper yeah, mill. exactly. So the fact that they decided to stick with the man and... It, so it far. Looks, so far, of course. But it looks like they're kind of turning... He's turning things around. And looking at their start to the season... They've played they played Arsenal away at Arsenal. They've been away at Chelsea. They lost to Man U. They've also played Tottenham away. 
So now this is a bit of a turnaround fixtures for them because they've got just played Forest. They're then next fixture is away at Bournemouth, home to Palace, home to Leeds, away at Wolves. There are four games coming up, which based on how they played against Forest, you could see them getting a good amount of points there. It wouldn't surprise me if they go and get about eight points from from those games. No, no, there's definitely some points up for grabs. And uh, yeah, like you said, I think realistically the only test right now, and um, I mean, going away to Bournemouth right now, as we mentioned at the, the, uh, the top of the show, that won't be an easy test for them. Defensively, Bournemouth have been strong, as we've mentioned. Um, City, just forget about City. Wolves, yeah, uh, which should be a pretty much straightforward, unfortunately, I think, um, result. Just Wolves just don't do anything, as far as I'm aware. And Palace haven't been fantastic. The results uh, Palace aren't really have been a bit. Of, they've been a bit of start-stop. They've had some good fixtures. And they've then, had some good fixtures. And then they've I, I gone think... and had some really weird points that you kind of go, oh. They're not where you'd expect them to be at this point of the season. Let's just put it that way. I just um, don't think they've been consistent enough. No, um, but down in 17th, anyway, doesn't, yeah. I don't feel that reflects how I've seen them play. No, exactly. It's just it's, it's weird. You just don't expect them to be in that position right now. Anyway, back to Leicester. Yeah, I, 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 it could be a bit of a run. Let's just see. This weekend um, is going to be a good test for them. Saturday, three o'clock on the south coast for Bournemouth. So, yeah, let's just see where it goes. Um, like you said, Rogers, I, I would be very my sort of advice for Leicester because obviously my advice to Leicester is you know huge, hugely weighted because I have you know huge experience in football um, and managing clubs and and the running of the clubs, but. I would be wise not to get rid of a man like Brendan Rodgers so quick. He's I, obviously done well for them. And it, you have to look at sort of what might be available. At the, I just don't, I would, I would be very cautious about getting rid of a man like that. And I think that's always what you've got to weigh up is that there's no one that you stand out and go, Oh yeah, he'll be a perfect fit. Yeah. Um, almost as a case of not that I think he's bad, but it's better the devil, you know, I guess in yeah. some instances of, you know what you're going to get from him. I mean, and, it's, and it's not like it's a case of the players have down tools. I don't think that's the case at all. I just think that defensively they've been, as you said, they've been poor. Um, so I don't think it's that he's lost the dressing room at all. And no. going and having a 4-0 win will give them all the confidence they need. Absolutely. To really go and kick on. And um, maybe, unless they do go on good, they're very much a... a, a bit of a streaky side, aren't they? They are a streaky side, but they'll go on street, like runs of really positive results and yeah. they'll kind of drop off for a bit as we've seen like in previous seasons where they've started off really well and then just trailed off post kind of February time and they've dropped out of like the really big European spots so yeah I think this could be a corner turned for them um, good couple of fixtures coming up for them and yeah between now and the World Cup really biggest game they've got is I suppose they're playing City. Obviously, you don't really fancy them to get anything from there because City's sort of an outlier right now. So yeah, yeah. exactly. There, no one's getting results from City at the moment. So between now and the World Cup, they've got fixtures again. Well, apart from the ones that we've mentioned, going further down the line, they've then got City, Everton, and West Ham. You kind of look at all of those and go, well. There's a chance, but the next is it seven game? We got seven Premier League fixtures until the World Cup. There was more than I was expecting. Four, five, six. God, we got seven fixtures 
doesn't feel like there's enough time to get them all in, does it? No, I know it really doesn't. Pretty, I know it's a lot of a Because we say like the World Cup's next month. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. I'm just thinking for the teams that have European fixtures as well. Well, yeah, the 14. So looking at looking at West Ham, for example, their fixture list is absolutely chocker. I, I, I like Brendan Rodgers. I like Leicester. I always had faith that they've got a good enough squad for it. Yeah. And hopefully they're going to start showing it over the next couple of weeks. On Saturday, Brighton made their way to Merseyside to play a Liverpool team that had been searching for top form since game week one and had struggled to find it. Brighton, under new management, had a lot to prove. And they immediately cast any doubt aside, taking an early lead thanks to Leandro Trossard. Then they go down 3-2, but then snatch a late draw. Did someone forget to tell them that Potter has left and they have no right to be this good still? Yeah, you wouldn't really... Would you class it as a new manager bounce? Because they've been good all sort of season. So, yeah, it's a, it's a weird one, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's game week... Well, yeah, it's game week game nine. Week. Um, yeah. And they've just kind of kept going. It's it, He's come in and just gone, well, you're doing everything pretty good right now. Why would I bother changing it? Exactly. And, and I think that's pretty much what he said. He's like... Clearly, Potter had his way on this side, and I don't really want to change too much with that. I just put my own little sort of tweaks on bits and pieces. And uh, then he got a man with the match performance out of Leandro Trossard, scoring three goals away at Anfield. That it's is not every, it's not very often that players go to Anfield and get hat tricks. Yeah, um, that's very much a career-defining performance. Good player scores a good amount, but no, surely no one had that on their betting slip this weekend. No, I think there's been, I think four, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's been about, what, four four players in total that have ever scored hat-tricks at Anfield in the Premier League. I think the only one that I can remember sort of recently, apart from Leandro Trossard, was obviously the Arshavin game where he scored four. Yeah, uh, to be honest, don't know the, couldn't, don't know my Premier League history specifically at Anfield well enough to be able to tell you no, any others it, that I can remember. It's not but, really ones that I really want to remember, but yeah. It's, it's, not one, it's not one you get every season, is it? No, um, exactly. So, but fair play to Leander Trussard. He's played ridiculously. He's been well, he's been fantastic all year long so far for Brighton. But, the, but that's the thing. This Brighton team, you wouldn't go, oh, they've just had one standout man. Each week, it seems to be another player playing unbelievably well. Early on, we had Danny Welbeck playing well. We had uh, Gross playing really well. Yep. Um, we had McAllister with... McAllister. Uh, uh, He's a couple of bangers. Yeah. Um, Solly March has had a good part of the season. Adam Lallana in bits has done well. And then Trossard's just come up absolutely unbelievable performance from him. And yeah, this team almost seemed to rotate responsibility about who's going <laughs> to who's gonna be grabbing the ball by the horns and lead them to getting a exactly. good result this week. And exactly. it goes to show that if you build a good enough squad, um, you don't need to rely on just a couple of good players. Everyone chips in and producers. That's the thing. And that was not like I'm going to put out there that Brian are going to be winning the league anytime soon um, just because unfortunately there is a just a cheat code at the top of the league right now um, but yeah you, you you do see sort of some similarities between the Leicester side that went on to win the league and, and this Brighton side uh, a good synergy I think that this this Brighton side has they're, they're a good team and, and that's what you need I think if you're outside of the big six um, you know you might not have necessarily the individual player 
But if you have enough sort of players that have good qualities in certain areas, then you can just put all together as a team and pull off results like this. And Brighton, to be fair to them, have been doing it all season long. It's not easy to go to Anfield and snatch, well, at least score three goals and snatch a point, yeah. um, especially in recent recent seasons. Mm. So absolutely fair play to Brighton. De Zerbe has just come in and just naturally sort of slotted into that that role perfectly, it seemed. Brighton do things great detail in sort of picking who they wanted to come in and replace Graham Potter. We mentioned a, a couple of episodes ago about the fact that De Zerbe was realistically the only one that they were ever going to go after um a relative unknown in the premier league and it's just come in as if it's just business as usual so absolutely fair play to brighton deserved result and i don't need the stats corner to say who was the last italian manager to win the premier league dilly dinging dilly dong claudio ranier always need stats corner Okay, that may be the case. But and once again, I'm not saying Brighton will win the league, but there are some parallels there between this and the Leicester side. There really um, is. I think probably what will let Brighton down is more the fact that there's other teams that are just doing ridiculous things right now, while Leicester did capitalise on other teams not being at top form. But once again, it'll take a couple of uh, performances for us to really get a definite reading on Deserby's stint yeah. with Brighton. But... And let's not forget that he has had, what was it, four weeks or so since his announcement, yeah. that he, ever since he came in, and hardly, well, he's not had any games to play, so he's had a lot of time to but deal with this. That's really good and really fortunate. Obviously, it's very fortunate oh, yeah. for them how it turned out. But you couldn't have really, well, apart from getting the win, but let's be honest, not many teams go to Anfield, concede three and win. So... I think as starts go, he couldn't really have wished for much better, to be honest. No, so, absolutely uh, not. Good on, uh, good on Deserby. The battle of the W's on Saturday evening was meant to be a relegation battle, and only one team came out top, with the clinical West Ham getting a two-nil win. So it is no points for Lager and a sigh of relief for David Moyes, moving the Irons out of the relegation zone. However, Lager was out the door by the end of Sunday with Julian Lopetegui lined up to take over. Tom, was his sacking deserved? Yep, the lager's gone off, I think. Um, let's see. Anyone who decides to loan out his club captain to another team for a arguably a competitor or a rival down in that sort of part of the table... I think you always have to question and he had spurts last year where you thought, okay, he's taken over from, um, from Nuno the season previous and looks as though, you know, a decent appointment, but this season just has been just woeful really for Wolves. I just don't, there's nothing really for I think the fans to hang their hat on. They had a decent, okay performance against Fulham in what was it, the second second week. Um, but I there was I think there was a lot riding on Wolves this year, and they needed to get off to a good start for um, for Lager to sort of stay in, and it, it clearly hasn't gone well at all. No, they had they did spend a fair amount of money in the window as well. They bought in. Um... Not whether I think they needed strengthening, to be honest. Well, they brought in a striker who immediately got injured. Yeah. Um, so they have had to rely on Diego Costa, who came on and looked 
okay-ish, I guess. But they didn't really get their defence sorted at all. And letting Connor Cody go is probably some of the worst business of the window. Absolutely. Because, um I think Everton have the option as well to sign him on with a permanent. And from what I've read today in the newspaper rumours, so not necessarily any truth in it, but about £5 million. Why wouldn't you take that deal? No, exactly. You'd, You'd be yeah, dumb not to. Exactly. So I don't know why Wolves would let Cody go for... The, I unless mean... Cody really wanted to go and he was really forcing his way out, but he doesn't strike me as the sort of player that would take that kind of really aggressive approach to leaving. No. It was mind-blowing. And as I say, they've then I spent... Mean... A f- go on. Mm. No, sorry. Just, I mean, to be fair, defensively this season, Wolves, it's not realistically been an issue for them. Yeah, so uh, in all fairness, I've got their fixtures here. So opening game, they played Leeds and they, lost 2-1. Yeah. They then got a draw at home to Fulham, but that was a game where Wolves had a million and one chances and just couldn't score any of them. They then lost to Spurs 1-0 at the new Shite Heart Lane. Um, <laughs> draw with Newcastle. So they then had a 0-0 draw with Bournemouth. Um, that was one of Gary O'Neill's early games. Yeah, they then beat Southampton one 0 They lost to City, but everyone loses to City at the moment. Yeah, and then I mean, apart- yeah, and then they've lost two 0 to West Ham. Yeah, so, so five, okay, five defensively goals- it wasn't okay. I'll give you that, but still, getting rid of your club captain like that seems weird. And yeah, it- I think the the bigger issue for Wolves right now is the fact that they just can't score goals. They've scored three. They- they've scored three goals so far this season. That is true. They've scored three goals. Wow, that is pretty poor. And to be honest, at the London Stadium at the weekend, they Diego Costa came on and they well put one in the back of the net, but it was offside and a mile offside. Yeah. Um, Craig Dawson um, stepped up perfectly to play him offside. It was a really good bit of play from um, the Messiah. And then, but other than that, Costa put a header wide in the second half, but. Other than that, I don't think they really had anything too no. threatening. A couple of long-range, optimistic hits, um, which were easily saved by Fabianski. But it, it, the West Ham defence didn't really ever look that troubled by them. No, and I think they. it does seem a bit of a sort of desperate ploy just to... Obviously, they weren't planning to lose their striker very their, the main striker or their new striker very early on in the season. Um, but a desperate point basically just to bring in Diego Costa out of the um, out of the mire and just expect him to get up to speed. Which, I don't, I, to be fair, I don't I don't think I don't, they're not idiots. So I don't think they were expecting him to get up to speed immediately. But just to hang your hat on Diego Costa basically banging the goals for you is is shouts desperation to me. But they hadn't the window had closed. I, I... I suppose, and that's their issue. If they're not having, they're not creating goals from midfield. So when Jimenez got injured, and then uh, Kalisic, their new striker, got injured, yeah, they had nothing else. And, and I know, Morgan's not, gives White as well going as well. And no fairness, the money for that is like yeah, you cashing you, you, in on that. But yeah. he he wasn't really a proven goal scorer anyway. That was just I don't. That's more Forrest being weird than yeah. Like you don't look a gift horse in the mouth like that. Um, yeah. Anyway, so they've been linked to Julian Lopetegui, who got sacked last night after the severe game. Oh, severe game, yeah. Yeah. So 
that kind of indicates that he's going right. But this is a manager who's often sacked from teams for being linked to other clubs. So he got sacked. That was it. It was the he got just sacked before Spain. By Spain um, uh, by, he before got the Russia sacked, World Cup, wasn't it? Yeah, 2018 in the yeah. where uh, I think Madrid had just let go of Zidane. So they that had a it. vacancy. Lopetegui was then their number one choice and he was likely to go and Spain sacked him like two days on before the, their first yeah, on the eve of the World Cup. <laughs> Absolutely balmy. So Another classic footballing moment. Apparently, this guy loves getting sacked just before moving or being linked to. So I don't know what he does, to what he says to people to, to, um, to miff them off that much. But it seemed very quick, very decisive. I don't really know how Sevilla are doing in the league, to be honest, so whether they're performing above or as expected. Um, I do have experience of watching Sevilla. That was uh, last year against Barcelona uh, on a on a Kochi uh, Barcelona trip. So they they're very sort of direct and do play through the wings. So oh. it sort of, it does sort of form into a little bit um potentially of how Wolves want to set up. Yeah, he does he does like direct. very um he does like aggressive fullbacks because yeah. they um even when they came to the London Stadium last season or West Ham just played them in the Europa League anyway. Um home and away they yeah played their fullbacks really high up the pitch which I think has typically suited a Wolves setup. I'll go back to when they I'm had just like, seen the way nowadays anyway. Yeah, exactly. I just think where they used to have like um, Matt Doherty um and that sort of thing. So um yeah, unless maybe Lopetegui will turn it around for them, but they do need some goals somewhere. Maybe he's the man for it. Elsewhere this game week, red cards proved pivotal in two matches. Chalaba got his marching orders very early on against Newcastle for a, a very dangerous tackle, which then ultimately gifted the Magpies three points um, as they tore apart a 10-man Fulham. And a double yellow special for a cynical Sinistera turned what could have been a good Sunday fixture into an absolute snore fest i know that after a nice sunday lunch people like to have a bit of a kip but i didn't realize it was compulsory if you're watching the football leeds villa what absolute dross there and it's not just sinistera's fault we'll get on to more of that i believe in stats corner um about possibly looking at villa's approach to the game but the red card certainly didn't help in that game did it tom uh, no, it, it really didn't. And to be fair to Leeds, um, for them to sort of remain in the game and they didn't have much of the game, to be fair. I think it was like 19 shots on goal uh, that Villa had in comparison to Leeds' is six. For them to stay in the game and go and then down 10 men, um, what was it, like the 30-odd minute that Sinistero got sent off? was Yeah, yeah absolutely fair play. Yeah, he got, he got sent off just after half-time. Um, yeah, for blocking, absolutely childish, childishly it's blocking. It's one of the dumbest red cards I think I've seen for a while. I think we've oh, seen he some gave the, early he on gave this the season. Referee the excuse, like you yeah. can look at it and go, "Oh, the referee maybe just wanted to get his but card out." But I, oh, he, 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 but as soon as you gave know him the card, mm. why run that risk? Why? Oh, it's so pathetic as well because it wasn't like it was a free kick in a dangerous area that they're stopping taking quickly. It was pretty much on the edge of Villa's defensive third. He whacked yeah. out a foot and 
when you're on a yellow, he mu- he must have forgotten he was on it because it was it was yeah, childish Jesse, and so silly. Yeah, Jesse. I don't think Jesse was happy. I think his exact words were something along the lines of, um, "It wasn't the smart move." Um, apparently, and uh, oh, really? clearly, it, clearly it wasn't. Yeah, thanks, thanks for the insightful comment. Uh, it definitely wasn't smart. I mean, yeah, sometimes you get these managers who, after a player, one of their players gets sent off, they do try to defend them a little bit, but I don't think there's much defending that. No, I think the case of with the uh, with Villa though is they're against a ten man leads for quite a long part of the game. Yeah. You've got to expect them to take the game to them, and. I don't know whether it's a case of they don't have the players available, but they didn't exactly make many attacking changes. They very much went did a couple of like for like subs, um, and I know you, they had a fair amount of shots in the end, but only seven on target. Like they didn't exactly threat. Leeds looked reasonably comfortable from the most part, yeah. when it should have really been more of a siege after after losing. So losing one of your players in the 48th minute. Absolutely. Um, like you said, that's why it, it suggested that Villa were having the better part of the um, part of the game. Like you said, 19 shots, 17 on goal. Melly had to come up with a couple of decent saves, 56% possession. But this Villa side just don't score. Not really. Okay, so Villa don't score many goals. Is this a Gerard thing? Have I don't know about looking into last season whether they scored that many, but I'm not sure they did. I don't remember them being... Well, I think they had a couple of games where it was a bit of a manager bounce um, when Gerard came in. But then I think that honeymoon period sort of really dried up really quickly. And then this season, just it's just been... Uh, the highest um, amount of goals they've scored in a single game this year has been two, and that was against Everton in, in the second match week. But apart from that, it's they, it's... they only score one goal a game, realistically. I mean... Bar, okay, so let's look at it. Bournemouth 2, Aston Villa nil to start the season. Then I mentioned the Villa 2, Everton 1 game. And then against Palace, they scored 1. Didn't score against West Ham. Scored 1 against Arsenal. Scored 1 against City. Scored 1 against Southampton. And then were blanked um, against Leeds. So they're just not scoring goals. Similar to what Wolves' problem is right now. They're just not creating that many sort of clinical chances. So being a betting insider now, um, so you're saying that I should be putting them on every game to score. Yeah, so for the <laughs> exactly Fab week, if you've got the Villa game, then it's just one goal. Just one goal. Um, well, in all fairness, I th- we'll have a look at it, but it will be included because it's the Monday night football game against Forest. So are we? Is it, I suppose, is it going to be a 1-0 or a 1-0? <laughs> or is it an El Sacchio? Oh, um, no. Do you think they would sack Gerrard? <sighs> There's a lot of um, so lot look, of okay, look, in the ranks in, I was say, in, look, with Villa fans right now. They're not looking, particularly pleased with Gerard. Yeah, so looking at managerial uh, sacking rumours then at the moment. So Bruno's gone, uh, which we've already mentioned. We've spoken about how um, Brendan Rodgers has been given more time and obviously he's turned it around and maybe it's the case that they've got some good fixtures coming up. If he gets results out of them, he won't have a problem. Um, so Steve Cooper at Forest. Oh, he's surely I, I know that the the Forest owner loves to loves to get rid of people. Um, so unless they turn it around very quickly with the amount of money they've spent, you can't imagine that he's got much more time left. No. So then what about is Gerard really that linked 
that closely to being given the boot? I don't think he's close to be given the boot because it's not like they are losing games right now. They haven't lost since the end of August. To be fair, there's only been three games since then. But it they're still unbeaten in three, which you know you, you'd take um, early on in the season just to get a bit of form. But the fact it, and one of those games was a one-all against City, which teams have typically just been just Harlanded. Um, is if that's ever going to be a verb um, out, out of the game, um, but it's not a style of play that I sort of link with Villa. Just that sort of ball fest, you know. You sort of look at when they were under um, Martin O'Neill with the likes of Milner and Ashley Young and all those Gareth sort of... Barry, oh. Gareth Barry, the Hang appearance on. holder, the king, the king appearance holder in the Premier League. God, he played. Far too many games. That what back then what they have Stuart Downing. I remember yep. sh- oh quality forwards like John Carew. Shay Given in goal. Gabby Oh Gabby. Oh, okay. Although I, I don't uh, ever since it's become sort of like a pundit just slash just spouting out shite. I just yeah, he, he's sort of gone off my list. Oh he him and Jamie O'Hara are the oh, definition talk, of talk shite. Are the, are the definition of poor career awful pundit. Yep. Never really won anything and just gobby as anything. Yeah. So you sort of put it in comparison to when when we sort of first started watching um the Premier League and then sort of later on, sort of like towards the back end of like the third year, that that bit of side that just before they got relegated, well not just before they got relegated, but a couple of years before that, under Martin O'Neill, just attacking football, quality play, would typically always finish up sort of high in, in the leagues, always sort of knocking on the door for European places. Um, and that's just not what we're getting. From. There was a lot of promise with this, um, with this, with the side specifically under Gerard, with the Gerard name being able to bring in X amount of players or you know, a, a quality and, uh, and name then of players. Spending that Grealish money. Yep. Um, where's that gone? Um, and then only for Grealish to basically just be a bench warmer for City. He played very well last night against. Copenhagen. If he comes on, he plays well. But you know, it's just a part and parcel of being in that city squad. Yeah, you're, you're a part of a machine rather than yeah. a standout product. If you're going to be a hundred million pound player, you expect to play most games. It's it's the money isn't to do with him. It's no. at the end of the day, the Villa had that arrangement. If they pay it, if yeah. City paid hundred million, and they then got again, that, sort of look, yeah, sort of going at got, it. It's that amount of money. Where are you spending that money? True. Um, but to be honest, anyone that, unless you've got a specific buyout clause um, in your contract, City are always going to have to pay lots of uh, player Man City premium now because they've, oh, yeah. they've got the Emirati money. Um, yeah. But, uh, okay, so other managerial rumours then. I saw today that potentially Hassan Hootel is in trouble yes, at Southampton. I saw that. Which, so, to be honest, um, doesn't, well, they're currently sitting <sighs> six. Okay, He's always so, in trouble though, surely. True, because the so looking at the table now, so twentieth you got Forest, Cooper's in trouble, Leicester, Rogers, not. I think the next couple of games will be defining. Eighteenth Wolves, Lager being given the sack. Seventeenth Palace, not hearing much about Vieira being in trouble at all. And game in hand though, but only one win out of seven. Yeah, exactly. That's not great. Um, and then. Southampton 16th uh, with Hassan Hootel, only one win in the last five. Then you got West Ham and Moyes, but that's been 10 rounds. That's a safe job. Yeah. And then you've got 14th, you've got Villa and Gerrard. So 
I suppose looking at it, if we're saying the likes of Cooper um, and Hassan who's in trouble, I suppose why isn't Vieira? That's uh, unless they're so unless they're so dedicated to a plan and a project that's prepared to see it through, which I kind of respect rather than just uh, yeah and changing every five minutes. And I'm not I mean, saying I'm not saying Vieira should be sacked by any means. I think no. managers should be given a lot longer. And Palace have typically in the last sort of few seasons have been starting sort of relatively so and sort of gradually building their way up to a sort of mid-table sort of uh, finish. And that has kept, you know, Roy Hodgson in his job for a good number of years. The, the haunting of Frank de Boer. <laughs> Palace are destined for a slow start. Yeah, four games and that, right, you're out. So, um, but yeah, Hassan Hootel, that'll be an interesting one. Um, it is another 9-0, I think. Another nine. No, because that solidifies him. In no, he... that's what I'm saying. For for Ralph, for him to stay in the job, he needs another nine. Oh, he needs. Okay, so looking at uh, Southampton's games coming up, in all fairness, they're nine nils. Who, what, who have they come against? Um, no, it was, uh, it was United Leicester and Leicester. United. Um, oh, okay. Do you know who they've got this weekend? Um, I just it's, about... it's FC Harland. Oh no. I'm okay. Oh no! I, I'm betting my next mortgage payment on Harland getting a hat trick. <laughs> Bet nine that he's going to get nine. No, he's going to get a hat trick, and City yeah. will score nine. Look, it started off with Harland getting a hat trick. Then it's Harland and Foden getting a hat trick. Now it's going to be Harland, Foden, and probably Edison to get a hat trick. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, we're not a top six team. We're just talking. No. We're not a top Pod- six podcast. Yeah. Um, so Southampton, yeah, looking at their run of games, they've got away at City, home to West Ham, away at a good Bournemouth team, home to Arsenal. Those four fixtures aren't aren't the nicest. They're not ideal. Um, I think they would be specifically looking at a home fixture against West Ham. Oh, absolutely. And they've got a good record recently against West yeah. Ham. And then, you know, Bournemouth local rivals... You, you you know that's Wednesday night on Prime, uh, one of the Prime games. Um, but yeah, Ga- but Gary Gary O'Neill's men don't. But they? Yeah, Gary O'Neill's men. That uh, Gary O'Neill's men. He needs exactly. to get the job. He, he needs to get the job. At the moment, I don't see. I can see that they sacked Parker without. Normally, I'd say only sack a manager if you know who else is coming in. Yeah, but I suppose the state, the manner in which Parker did leave or get fired would due to his comments and his disagreement with the owners, that understandably yeah. they didn't have anyone just lined up immediately. No. But in terms of as someone to come in, he's, yeah. He's done the job. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, for Southampton, who, if he was to go anytime soon, what have you got? You got bring back Poch? Worked well first time. Yeah, I, I never return. You know, there's all that old adage of never return to a club. Um, and I think, to be fair to, but, to but Southampton... It, I think Potch is probably a little bit beyond that level now. Um, because of his, you know, his stock is incredibly high. But um, hang on, you say Parker. never return. You never, you say never return to a team. But Kenny Dalglish did such a good job for Liverpool when he went back there as a manager. He won the League Cup, but yeah. what over one hundred and twenty minutes against Cardiff? Um. Anyway, moving on. Oh, to be fair, you know, David Moyes is he's done good second time round. He he was only a temporary appointment. But I know I get your point. Um, but he but, was only a temporary appointment. He was only yep. in for those six months. Yeah. I, I I guess it's just another football cliche that I like, you know, never return to a club. Um yeah, but 
So I I don't know who who would, but let's well we're talking about a man who's still in a job. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't I don't want him to be sacked once again. Yeah. I think I think he's a great character for the league, and I'd love to stay for him to stay. Yeah, and I don't yeah, think he's done himself any harm with his sort of time at Southampton, just bar the two horrendous results that he's had. No, but they go, they once again start, well, typically, obviously not this season, start off pretty well and then tail off massively and go on yeah. large droughts. And this Big, large beach holidays at the end of the well, season. it hasn't really stopped since the end of last season, really, has no. it? It's just kept going towards the end of last season. So looking at their final five fixtures, they, well, looking, yeah, looking at the final five fixtures, lost to Burnley, drew with Brighton, lost to Palace, lost to Brentford, lost to Liverpool, lost to Leicester. And then that poor form has really continued um, with losing to losing to Tottenham, drawing with Leeds and then beating Leicester, um, but then losing to Man United. They've got the good win against Chelsea, I'll give them that. Losing to a poor Wolves team, losing to a, a Villa team, surprisingly only 1-0, and then losing to Everton. Like, it's... Has yeah, it's, it's not. Has a reason to be cautious. I think he. I think he does. Um, I. I think it'd be harsh to sack him after any game against City right now because you can't really take that into account. No. I think those those games against West Ham and Bournemouth will probably prove um, vital. And then with the way that the games are coming up in later on um, next month with the World Cup coming up. We could see potentially a huge amount of movements probably that time. I would imagine that's probably a good point if if clubs are going to make some changes. But it's an awful time to bring in a new manager because let's say, let's say for example, after uh, the way the fixtures are stacking up, let's say after the Palace game, Southampton are away to Palace on the 29th, so at the end of this month. If they lose that, they've then got the week to prepare for Newcastle. Then they've got a midweek fixture in the EFL Cup. And then they've got the weekend fixture against Liverpool. Like, it's pretty constant. And that's for most teams, because a lot of the teams will have EFL Cup fixtures as well. Um, I just don't think it's a good time to sack a manager right now, because anyone coming in is literally going to have... No, I'm not not saying right now. I'm saying sort of when the World Cup comes around. So I I think you still need a bit of... It's... It's still early doors in the Premier League, but you know that counts for nothing in modern day football. You know we've had eight, we're eight games in, and we've already lost two managers this season. That's true. We have already and one well. managerial sort of switcheroo. Yeah, but that was about it. Yeah, well, there's still out of the other fourteen. There's been what three manager changes. That's... Yeah, <laughs> can we like... do all teams? <laughs> no, some teams like have good managers at the moment. Yeah. Um... So no, uh, well, we'll see if there'll be any changes around the corner. Once again, I'm very much a fan of sticking with sticking with the manager. Um, and currently in the case of Forrest... Um, if it's a good fit, then it, it, you, you're better off sticking with it. Well, and with the case of Forrest and Cooper, to be honest, I don't think you can get any manager in there and make it work on the short term. I yeah, think it's... it's very much a long-term project of trying to grind out and hope that come around February time, January, February time, post-World Cup, as much, yeah, as much actually together, and you can grind out a result. Yeah, as much as I don't like saying it, I, I do think that Steve Cooper will become an unfortunate victim with the way Forrest have set up this year. Yeah, um, which is it's nothing against him. You no. know, I, th- I think he's a great coach, but 
but I think yeah, it would, I just think it will become an unfortunate victim. Mm, exactly, completely. Um, but anyway, probably unfortunate if he goes. Um, okay, and now it's over to the listeners' favorite part of the show. It's stats corner. And welcome to Stats Corner. Right, this week on Stats Corner, we're going to take a little more um, in-depth look into Jesse March's comments they made uh, regarding speed of play um, after the Villa game at the weekend. We've already mentioned it a little bit so far in the episode. And no, I'm not going to put on a really corny Ted Lasso American accent, but Jesse said... Our fans don't come here to watch a snail's pace match. And that they've also run into a few opponents this year that tend to slow the pace of the game down. So let's have a look at a little bit of the uh, the game in a bit more detail. Um, as we've already mentioned, 56% possession and 19 shots on goal, seven which were on target. In comparisons to Leeds, who had six shots on goal and one on target. I know a few of you out there are going to be shouting at whatever device you're listening to this pod right now, uh, saying, tough shit, Jesse. Um, any form of tactics you employ for a game are fine, as long as it's legal or within the boundaries of bending the rules. And yes, I would completely agree with you. However, I do think Jesse March makes a good point about how time management of games has become one increasingly more frustrating aspect of the Prem whether it be keepers taking time over goal kicks or ticking down the clock over a throw-in, etc. So I don't have stats for the current season, and to be fair, it's still very much in its infancy. But last season, the Premier League saw the lowest ball-in-play average um, per 90 since the 2010-2011 season at 55 minutes and 3 seconds, which is down a whole minute and 19 seconds on the previous campaign. Sorry, the ball... On average, in games, the ball was only in play for 55, 55 minutes, minutes and three seconds. So, when you say per ninety, is that then including is that then including additional time? Because I'm thinking of like when there's like a three minute VA, VAR review. I think it's it... per ninety, but it's 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 just ball in play per game. Um, and then look, but looking on the face of it, though, most seasons have been on average between fifty three and fifty six minutes in terms of ball in play. Um. But then that raises the point that ever since our friends at Optus started collecting the data on ball in play, there's been on average less than an hour of actual play for every season. That seems a lot of wasted time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I suppose when I'm watching a game, I never, unless it becomes really obvious, and in the case, obviously, Jesse Marsh thinks that was the case for them, I, I don't really notice. Maybe I should start. Cap- Maybe my time is wasted watching football because apparently, for a third of it, now it happens. Well, going back to Villa, they were the biggest culprits last year with ball in play coming bottom of the table at 52 minutes and 23 seconds. So there is potentially a little bit um, of that coming into Villa's play. And obviously, that is a mix between Dean Smith and Steven Gerrard. I can't remember at what point Dean Smith got the sack last year. He was sacked on the 8th of November, so very early on in the season. So it's more of a Gerard start than a, than a Dean Smith yes, start. Yes, he, he was sacked at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. He was sacked after nine game weeks. So about this t- like effectively now. Yeah, no, for, okay. So that does sort of lend 
nicely in hand to what Jesse March is saying about Villa's tactics and the fact that they are very sort of snail pace and don't really play as much with the ball actually in play as other teams do. Um, um, I would just like to say, anecdotally, uh, when Villa came to the London Stadium last season, oh boy, it was every every opportunity they had a player go down holding a part of his body, whether it's his little toe or his fragile ego, um, but they were down on the pitch rolling around so frequently it was it was embarrassing and clearly time wasting. Um, yeah, West Ham then went on to win the game, but you could clearly see it was a tactic for them to try and stop the stop up, stop West Ham playing as much as possible by whatever means. Uh, West Ham could be in the middle, were in the middle of like passing plays, and then a Villa player would just nowhere near the ball would just drop down holding his knee or something, and the referee would ultimately then stop the game. And it becomes frustrating to watch after a so 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 many sort of minutes, sort of just watching watching the game and just seeing nothing happening. It it does become frustrating, and so I, I do get it from a standpoint of the fans, from what Jesse March is saying as a tactic, uh, whatever. It, as long as it's within, like I said, if it's within the rules or within bending the rules, then I I you can't really have anything to say against it. Um, going I, su- back I suppose the-, the reason is is that referees will turn around and say, "Oh well, if they're wasting time, we'll add it on at the end of the game." Yeah, but in reality, you never get you never get that time properly in play, and it's not so much the it's not so much the time being wasted. It's more the case of the way the time is being used. So, as I said, or as Jesse Marsh is saying. If his team are used to back and forth games where attack defense, attack defense, and they have that flow to their game, after during extra time, you're not necessarily guaranteed to get that and create your own attacking opportunities. Yeah. Um, looking on sort of last season's uh, table in terms of ball in play stats, we looked at Villa being bottom of the table. No surprises, City come top, but that's still only 60 minutes and 53 seconds. And do you want to know what the lowest ball in place stat for an actual match last uh, last campaign was? Um, you might have went to this game actually. Oh, was it a West Ham game? It's West Ham versus Brentford. I was actually at that game. Um, yeah, Brentford. Uh, Brentford won it. Um, well, to be honest, all I remember is that Ivan Tony causing absolute chaos and a lot of long balls is what I remember from the game. So you, you're not telling me that you kept specific uh, accounts of what, how long the ball was in play for? I don't often do that. It's more of a new thing that I've started doing. That and um, how many times the person in front of me throws a wanker sign at the opposition fans. Ah, oh, fair. Um, Opta, if you're listening, please start running that. Um, yeah, so for that game, it was a laborious 41 minutes and 33 seconds that the ball was actually in play for. So that- that's less than actual 50% of the game. Wow. Um do you want to know what the lowest time ever recorded for a Prem match was? I'll give you a guess who managed that masterclass. I'm going to throw out there that it's probably, I'd imagine Sam Aladici's involved. No, but you're sort of in the right um, ballpark in terms of managers. Oh, go on, tell me who it is. It was Tony Pulis and his Stoke side. Oh, wow. <laughs> At home to Blackburn in a 3-0 win, which was actually Pulis's 300th uh, game in charge of of, uh, of the Potters. What what a, managed, what a fitting tribute to the yes, man. Yes, they managed 39 minutes and one second. 
And in fact, looking at lowest ball in play stats for the Premier League fixtures since records began, Pulis's Stoke side appear in three of the top four games. So I guess the uh, question is genuine tactic or does the Premier League need to introduce a stop clock of some kind, something that has been touted up before to make sure fans, like Jesse March said, are getting sort of full value of entertainment. But then if you're saying about fans getting full value of entertainment... What a team's going to then give refunds if your team loses, going, Oh, I wasn't entertained by that because we lost. Like, no, I'm not saying that, but no, but, no, but, but I'm seeing... saying it becomes very murky. Um, I... and I do get Jesse Marsh's point in that he says they're in it, Leeds are meant to be an entertaining side and they weren't able to entertain, but fundamentally, you're not there for entertainment, you're there to watch football. And if a yep. team is able to manipulate that in a way that is effective for them, then kind of you go, Well, look at Pulis's sides, they typically were fairly successful and routine in staying up in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, I suppose when you're looking at a team like Villa at the moment, it's been about a year since Gerrard's taken over. Um, has that approach been effective for them? Well, they stayed in the Premier League, but they're not very good. So maybe if they tried playing football a bit more, yeah. they might be a bit more successful and score more than one goal a game. Yeah, they're not in a position that you would expect them to be when, you know, all touted up being Gerald in as like the next best thing for, for the Premier League. And then the sort of players that they were starting to bring in because of the, the, of the Gerard name, you don't expect them to be sort of languishing in the part of the, um, part of the table that they are right now. Um, and like I said, yeah, I, I, it is a genuine tactic. I have absolutely no, no issue with it. It's just Jesse Marsh, like I said, tough shit. You've got to find a better way of coming going against it. You've got oh. to find a counteract to it. I get that, uh, but I suppose it's a case of coming from an approach of having a more pure breed of football in terms of like as in, like I suppose it's that game, like if you want to play like total football, which I guess is kind of what he wants to yeah. do. He wants to have the ball in play as much as possible. He wants to entertain, and that's what's driving them. Um, and so I can understand the frustration coming from him. But as you say, you do need to find out a way to try and beat that. But ultimately, it's hard to beat a team if the ball's never in play and their yeah, team stops starting. Um, yeah. I suppose from the point of view that if you're going 1-0 up and then they start it, you turn around and go, that's pure shithousery and you kind of respect it. Yeah, um, but as we said, Villa aren't getting the results, so it kind of seems like a really weird tactic to introduce to their play. Um, yeah, becoming a draw specialist is not something that I think you'd want as a fan to watch. No, and I'd be interested to see if it's just away games in which they do that, or whether yeah. at home they uh, they're just as poor as well. Um, but no, um, it doesn't surprise me about some of those. It surprised me how little the ball is in play in most games. Yeah, it surprised me when I saw it. You don't really notice. Uh, I know. suppose there's a lot of time where um, goalies taking goal kicks, preparation for free kicks, corners, that sort of thing. Um, looking back, so you mentioned about the West Ham Brentford game last season. Yeah. Um, looking back at the statistics in that game. The pass accuracy for the teams were uh, West Ham's pass accuracy was 72%. Brentford's was 64%, which is Ooh. feels a bit low. Yeah. And then there were 29 fouls in the game. Oh, full-blooded. I like it. 
Well, I think it's just a case that there must have been so many free kicks in that game with yeah. those 29 fouls that no wonder time is being wasted every single time there's a free kick. The it... referee was very eager in blowing his whistle. Oh, I'm all for referees who actually let the flow of the game Oh, no, absolutely. And that's one of the things I actually liked about the uh, women's foot, women's Euros, that yeah. there were so many like aggressive tackles and it was really good because they just let them fight it out and I wish we saw that a bit more. Yeah. Um, I think the interesting also thing, sort of looking from another point of view, is that VAR, since it's coming, a lot of people sort of questioning how long VAR takes. But looking at the um, looking at the stats, I mentioned that most seasons were sort of between like the 53 to 56 mark in terms of minutes played with the ball in play. That's not really changed since like the adoption of VAR. No, that's true. Um, but I suppose Which I, I find sort of quite surprising. But True, but I think the issue is with VAR isn't necessarily because it's taking up time. But going back no. to, as I was saying before, is the way it breaks up play. Yeah. In that if you've got, if your team's flowing, attacking, like um, really good run, and then like they have, then have a three minute handball decision that then doesn't yeah. go anywhere. It kind of sucks all the energy and momentum yeah. out of the game. And that's yeah. what Villa are doing to their opposition. Um, and kind of, or it seems that's what they're doing to their opposition. Um, once again, if it's effective, by all means, it just seems like a weird tactic for them to adopt. Yeah, if they're not scoring goals. Tom, thank you very much for that stats corner. Um, it's definitely going to make me uh, think about how much of my time is actually being wasted <laughs> at the football. You will never stop thinking about it. No, it's going to drive me absolutely mad. Thank you for that. So, Tom, it's our favourite time of the episode. Volley, volley, volley. Oi, oi, oi. It's time for Goal of the Week. Goal of the Week. Tom, it's certainly not slim pickings for you this week. We've had an absolute wealth of goals for you to choose from. Which goals and which players caught your eye with some special moments? So like I said, some fantastic goals being scored this weekend, just played. My shortlist, I've got three players. I think you've got a couple of extra that uh, probably go down as honourable mentions. But I'm looking at the Almiron volley against Fulham, the Skamaka goal against Wolves, and the Madison free kick against Forest. Those are my top three at the moment. I know, you, like you said, you've got some honourable mentions. Um, yeah, I think other goals that are worth uh, mentioning, I think Dwight McNeil scored a really good goal for Everton this weekend against Southampton um, to get their win. I completely agree with you in terms of uh, the other three, Skamaka, um did it take a slight deflection? I don't know. All the camera angles seem a bit, but I think I genuinely. I look at tell. one and think, nah, that's just gone straight in. And the other one's yeah. like, mm, yeah, did with it. a schematic goal. In all fairness, the ball came out to me. It was a great first touch and then on the half volley. Um, I don't know. I, I think, still think it was going in anyway. But... Yeah, I do. Um, so I think, yeah, Skamaka, Almiron's volley is great. Um, then Madison's free kick, but then I think Barnes's goal was good from that game as well. And oh, then yeah. I think the, to um, be honest, yeah, the, yeah, the 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 wrestling ref uh, Henderson uh, reaction, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and then Trossard, he scored three goals. None of them were bad goals, to be honest. 
particularly no, no. his particularly his third. The way it came across the box to him, he had to catch it on his left foot on the half volley, having Bounced just been it down injured. As well. It was yeah, I think I think there are a lot of honourable mentions. I think some really good goals all round here. It's a tricky um, week. It is a tricky week. Um, I have my favourite, but my favourite doesn't so matter in this because it's completely your decision. Yeah, and I can imagine probably your favourite is uh, a game that you actually saw live. No, it's uh, actually not because I, I re- don't get me wrong. I think Skamaka's goal was really, really good um, and a really good start for him in the Premier League, his first goal. Um, I think actually from the West Ham game, Bowens was a really good taken goal as well, um, near post, um, absolute lethal strike. But my favourite so, is actually the Almiron volley. I think I think it's unbelievable because so, what, go on. I also like the Almiron volley. I, I, th- it, I, I it, it sort of reminded me of the Decanio goal, ish, where he's sort that. of gone against like on his weird like on his um look like, almost like a wrong footed volley from yeah. the outside of his boot. The thing is, it didn't look like he tried hit it. Like part of it is that he didn't look like he put anything behind it. Yeah. It's more as if the ball came across and then hit his foot. But clearly, it was just a quality strike. Yeah. Um, I think I and think a nice, was, bit of, nice build up play, good one too. Yeah, uh, missed it against a ten man Fulham, but to be honest, unless the other man was in hanging off the crossbar, he wasn't getting near it. So um, I'm in a I'm in a quandary here. Okay, because as much as I love Almiron's goal, I my top two I think for the week are Almiron's goal against Fulham. And then Madison's free kick against Forest because it's one of those free kicks where it was just pinpoint perfection, tapped in from the inside of the um, of the post, and yeah, Henderson was absolutely no way near it. But oh, I would love to give it to Almiron. It's just oh, a fact. It's a volley. Castle, it was really good. Castle keep getting the goals of the week. They score bangers. Exactly. So so far this season, we had opening game week. We had a Fabian share goal against. Um, uh, which was an absolutely quality rocket from the edge, yeah from the edge of the box. We then had a Kieran Trippier free kick. Um, that, was a, that was a City game, wasn't it? I think so. Just and scenes, then, scenes. And then Saint Maximum got a goal as well. Um, oh, I was against Wolves, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I, I think to be honest, their biggest challenge of come the end of the season is going to be their goal of the season contest. Oh Christ, I think that's going to be the hardest thing this year. I think short of um, picking, they're not which... sure. Of, they're not <laughs> short of contenders. Exactly, they are not short of contenders. It is, but to be honest, you know what? Screw it. Yeah, it, it, it's not my it pick. I'll let you. But Almiron's it has to be goal was so good. It um, has to be Almiron's. I saw so when. Going through match of the day, I was looking like making notes of all the goals, seeing what's gone on. And when I saw his, I just went, Oh, for Christ's sake, it's going to be another Newcastle goal that's winning. Yeah, like it yeah. was, yeah, having been at the West Ham game and watched Gamaka's goal, I did turn around and go, Oh, no, like Almiron's Almiron is better. Is better. Um, so I, I also love it because, um, I think we mentioned it earlier on, there was some comments that I think. Uh, Jack Greenish made at the City celebrations at the end of last year. Yeah, about um, Mares playing yeah, like Almiron or something. Almiron. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, that's just, yeah. And shut to, up. in all fairness, Al- Almiron's, uh, he got a couple of goals in that game. And um, yeah. yeah, I think he played really well. I think he was, play. he was unlucky not to get a hat trick, to be honest. Yeah. So he sort of, he sort of reminds me like um, Chicharito. just sort of one of those players who doesn't look like a natural born, natural gifted footballer, but just things come off. Yeah, I get that. Um, but no, so Miguel Almiron, congratulations, congratulations on being our goal of the week. 
So, Tom, Vindication, you've actually had a... Vindication. Vindication. You've actually had a good week in our Fab Four contest. I think Um, I nailed it this week. You had a really good week. So let's have a look at the results. So we both put for Newcastle to beat Fulham. I'm going to say I was... Well, we both thought it was actually going to be three goals in the game, not five. You thought it'd be two, and I thought three nil. Uh, Newcastle blew them out of the water, thanks to Chalaber being stupid. Wolves-West Ham. You got it right. Apparently, West Ham between us, we can predict West Ham results. So It's a weird one, isn't it? Yeah, you got it 2-0 spot on. I was optimistically going 4-1, hoping I was kind of j- going to jinx a goal fest. Um, yeah, but then you also jinxed Wolves to score a goal, which we obviously know that they can't do. That, that was kind of my fault there. Yeah. Absolutely. And we both, well, neither of us thought that it would be a 0-0 draw between Leeds and Villa. But Tom, you need to revise your knowledge um, because you put Villa to score two goals, which was never. Yeah, I did actually. And Sinistera cost me because I think Leeds had two goals in them, but um, apparently it wasn't two goals. It was two yellow cards for that silly man. And then rounding off the week, Monday night football fixture. um, We both thought it was going to be high scoring. We both thought Leicester were going to win, um, and I goaded you into putting it, making it high scoring in your prediction. You put three two. I put one nil. Uh, so we both get a point for that. But so between us, we both predicted the correct winning team on three occasions. But you did get that vital, that accurate vital, result yep. for West Ham beating Wolves to nil. So I that's given that's given you five points and given me three points. So that puts us at ten points to you and fourteen points to me. So you're still. Four still points it. behind, but very still much, it. very much in it. Still early on. We've still got many, many game weeks. Yep. Almost too many. So, I'm sure I will screw it up this week. So, Tom, before we get into our predictions for this week, um, can you tell us what games we have to look forward to in match week ten? So, match week ten, we have Brentford traveling up to Newcastle, Manchester City take on Southampton. It's Brighton against Tottenham in the half five kickoff on the Saturday. Palace take on Leeds. It's the Battle of the Northwest in Everton and Manchester United. Bournemouth take on Leicester City. Chelsea take on managerless Wolves in the three o'clock kickoff on the Saturday. West Ham take on Fulham in a London derby. And Forest take on Stevie G's Aston Villa in the Monday night game. So we have some really interesting fixtures there again. So our Fab Four picks for this week are Newcastle Brentford, Bournemouth versus Leicester, Palace versus Leeds, and Forest v Villa. So, Tom, Newcastle Brentford. We've got Newcastle team who have kind of been going steady all season so far, and they got a really good win against Fulham. And a Brentford team that had started really well, and I wouldn't say have dropped... They haven't become poor, but they haven't been necessarily getting the results over recent weeks. I think this is going to be a really good game. Um, I think it's... it's Well, I, I probably completely um, jinxed it now. But like you said, Newcastle with a much-needed win against uh, Fulham the other week. Um, Brentford a little bit off the boil. I think Newcastle at home were probably going to be favourites for the game as it stands. 
they're still, I think, without injured uh, St. Maximan, but it clearly didn't phase him at all going up against uh, Fulham the other, the other day. So I am going to go for a 2-1 Newcastle win, and I think Tony might get on the score sheet. 2-1 Newcastle. Um, I'm thinking the same. I think... Newcastle don't typically concede a lot of goals, but mm. they can can they have conceded some this so I was going to put Brentford to score at least one. And I think Newcastle's run of recently, they're playing really well. They're scoring goals as we saw against Fulham. Um because you, you've taken two one, I'm gonna have to take three one, although two one was probably my go-to result. If you so, want to put two one, do two one. No, it's fine. Let's make it interesting. Otherwise I'll yep. just predict all the same results as yep. you for the, and in all fairness, Brentford have conceded um quite a few goals this season. So they conceded two to Leicester, three to Fulham, um, two to Leeds, three to Arsenal across recent game weeks. So um I'm not upset by that prediction. So then Bournemouth v Leicester. It's a difficult one, that. To be honest, I'm, this, I'm not game, sure to look this, at it. this game was included because I thought you would be upset if I put in another West Ham fixture. Um, so I would have been last week, but then I obviously managed to correctly guess your game. So, um, well, yeah, well, we, we've, we've got to predict Bournemouth Leicester now. So it's a no, Bournemouth I, team that are going steady under Gary O'Neill and undefeated. And Leicester, who, as we mentioned, have they turned a corner? I guess we will find out in this game. Um, that's a difficult one. As as much as we could potentially be seeing Leicester turn a corner, Bournemouth have been solid in defence in recent weeks, have just been steadily going on, as we've mentioned. Um, I think, though, that they might come unstuck. I think that run might end this weekend. So I'm going to think that Leicester might turn a corner even further with this game. And I am going to go... Oh, Again, they've been good defensively. But Leicester do score goals. I'm going to go for a 2-0 away win. Oh, poor Gary O'Neill. Um, not, not a thrashing, but... No, that's, that's just fair. I think a Leicester win. The thing is, you're right. Looking at Bournemouth's form, you kind of go, well, can Gary O'Neill keep this going? Yeah. And I really want him to. Same. But, and so, and then Leicester, coming a bit of a high off the last fixture. Ah, this is really annoying. Um, I am going to go look. At, let's have a look at Leicester's. I'm going to have a look at Leicester's upcoming fixtures. So you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to say that it's going to be a one-all draw. And I know that draws aren't. We don't often predict draws. I don't think it's a bad shout. But I think both teams have a goal in them but won't yep. get absolutely thumped. Yeah. Okay, then a game between two teams that do like goals in their games. We've got Palace versus Leeds. So, uh, to be honest, I can see there being quite a few goals in this game. I'm thinking Scorefest. Okay. I'm thinking Scorefest. It's just how much. I'm going to go in early so you can't go. steal my prediction. Go. I'm going to say Leeds are going to win 2-1. Well, that's not a score fest, is it? No, it's not a score fest. But if you said 2-1, I would have been annoyed if you'd taken it from me, like you did with the Newcastle-Brentford game. No, I mean like a like a five-goal, six-goal thriller. Oh, you think thing. it's going to be that mad? Okay. Yeah, because I, I, I think Leeds will want to, you know, 
I don't I can't see Leeds going back to back games with them just not scoring goals. And it's a Palace game, a Palace team rather, that I think are a bit more energetic and a bit more lively than than the Aston Villa side that they played against um in uh, in the last in the last match week. So Palace are in desperate need of result right now. I was well, I say desperate because we haven't really mentioned much about Palace, but the fact is they only have one win in seven. So they're in need of a goal, uh, in need of a game, uh, in need of a win. They have a game coming up because they play in the Premier League. There's going to be games, but anyway, um, they need a win. So I don't think they'll get it. I am going to screw it. Three all. Three? Three all. Oh, yeah. wow. Um, you know what? I am really oh, tempted to put some of yeah. these on an acker when the fun stop stops. Yeah. Um, but three all Palace lead. That is a great one. And then in an El Sacchio, another one for this season, we have Forest v Villa. Well, to be honest, Forest aren't scoring goals. No. Nope. Villa can only really score one goal. <laughs> I don't to be honest, I don't really know where which way to put this. Um, because both teams to be honest, between now and the fixture, they might have sacked like Forest could change yeah. manager, you never know. I feel like they would have done it by now. Yeah, that's a good point. But they only played Monday, so it hasn't given them a great yeah. So Monday, back-to-back Monday fixtures, though, is quite interesting for them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm just looking. So Forest do concede a lot. Under Gerard, Villa don't score a lot. Yeah. Oh, I don't want it to be a nil-nil because I can't be dealing with another one of those involving Villa. But Villa will slow down the play. Yeah. So they're going to slow down the play against a team that don't link up well and don't play fluid football because they don't know each other from Adam. Um. Oh, to be honest, this this one's a tough one to predict. Um, I, what, Forest don't really score much many goals. No, they don't, they don't score many. There've been a couple of five goal thrillers where they've scored a couple, but in terms of consistently scoring goals, they don't. Yeah, oh, a Monday night at the City Ground, though. That's what I'm thinking. But Villa don't score many. All right, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to say it's going to be three one Forest. I think Villa will get one, but Forest. Oh, yeah, under I, the lights, special after, moment. After what we've sort of discussed regarding Villa and the amount of goals they score each game, I think I have to go for one goal going to Villa. Um, I wouldn't have gone three. I'm probably going to go two one Forest. Two one Forest. That could end up being the fixture that keeps Steve Cooper in his job, amusingly. Yeah. And he'll um, have to thank us for it. Yeah, he will. He will have to come onto the podcast and thank us, um, yeah. Steve. I know you're a listener. Um, do get in touch with your availability. We would love to hear from you, and so would all our fans. Absolutely. And with those predictions predicted, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Other 14 podcast. So thank you so much for downloading and listening to this week's episode of the Other 14 podcast with Tom and myself. Please subscribe to us and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Also, do recommend us to your friends and family. We are available on all good podcast platforms, including Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So with the countdown to the World Cup well and truly started, we have game week 10 full of Premier League joy to be had next weekend. So join us on next week's episode where we will be talking about all the big results of the game week. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And we'll see you next week on the Other 14 podcast.